Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Jim, so as you know, we recently received a request from one of our listeners to tack to for us to weigh in on the topic, well, for you to weigh in, not me, for you to weigh in on the topic that we're going to talk about today. So, but let me just provide some context for the rest of our listeners. So this listener lives in Canada, where in 2016, euthanasia became legal. It's known technically as MAID, M-A-I-D, which is an acronym for Medical Assistance in Dying, and it was originally made available only to those with terminal illnesses. But in 2021, the law was expanded to include those with serious and chronic physical illnesses, even if those illnesses are non-life-threatening. And this year, lawmakers are likely to expand the program even further to include those with mental illnesses or disabilities. So understandably, many Canadians, including our listener, um, are concerned by the fallout that they're seeing as a result of MAID. He cited both the familial and cultural pressure that are that's being put on the elderly to choose MAID months, even years before they may naturally pass away. Or on the flip side, people choosing MAID when confronted with you know, cancer diagnoses, PTSD, even the horrors of poverty. Jim, what else do you want to say about the current state of medically assisted suicide? Yeah, I remember when that email came through, and I know it, it marked you and disturbed you, and well, it should. And you wanted to do a, a podcast on this, and we we haven't touched on this subject yet, so it, it it it's it's good to do that, even though it's a very um, it's a complex subject, and there's a lot of pain involved uh, with the people who are involved, obviously families and others, and and uh and also, as you just described in Canada, um, when people point to a slippery slope, I mean, you just you just gave a perfect case study of that. There's, when we talk about euthanasia, first of all, just our terminology. You're talking about, um, you know, technically euthanasia is when when the death is done to you. Medically assisted suicide is when you are given the means to commit suicide to kill yourself. But we'll kind of use those terms a little synonymously and interchangeably. Um, uh, but, um, my, many ethicists, myself included, would consider both assisted suicide, you know, so, but, um, but, so euthanasia is the practice of, of enabling, um, death. Um, and often because the person is old or they're in pain or terminally ill, the word euthanasia itself comes from two words, meaning good death, you know, um, and, uh, those two Greek words, uh, thanatos, which means death. So, the, um, uh, those who support euthanasia use terms carrying that sentiment. So you hear things like mercy killing, you hear death with dignity, you hear those kinds of rationales. And the rationale is that individuals or family members have the right to end their own or someone else's life uh, if they feel it is unbearable. Um, in terms of wh where I think things are culturally, I, I think the state is that we are moving ever increasingly toward a full acceptance of euthanasia in almost every form, any and every form. And again, the Canada slippery slope is a perfect example. 
And the reason is because of the prevailing ethic of our day, which has popped up on several times in our conversations of individual freedom. I am my own authority, my body, my choice, my life, my ending of it is, is up to me. And it's the mantra of our day on so many issues, including this one. Uh, it's interesting. Gallup does an annual morality poll where it uh, surveys people, where people stand on various ethical issues uh, regarding values and beliefs. And in the most recent survey, it came out, more people believe that the buying or wearing of clothing made of animal fur is morally wrong than those who think doctor-assisted suicide is wrong. Hmm. So you, you can see already kind of where we're, we're going as a culture and how we view this as a culture. Um, and uh, so. Hmm. Well, there is a lot, as you mentioned, to unpack with this topic. So I just want to kind of give you a heads up as to the framework of my questions so you know what to expect, Jim. But I, I basically thought that let's just follow the train of thought modeled in Canada with the MAID expansion. So I want to first talk about the inception of the program like in its most restrictive form. Um, and that's to allow people with terminal illnesses to avoid, you know, slow and cruelly painful death, especially in the final days of life. If anything, I would think that there's the most support for this, um, considering no one wants to see their loved one die painfully, nor does anyone want to knowingly put themselves through that. But Canada is as of right now, um, one of the few countries that does legally permit this. So what is the moral pushback? Well, yeah, the moral pushback for the Christian is is the sixth commandment. I mean, you shall not murder. Uh, and, and I know that, you know, but let me just say before we get into that further, um, anyone who's gone through uh, terrible terminal illnesses and those final days and things and and we'll get into maybe a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, the different cares and, and and the difference between, you know, uh, active euthanasia and passive euthanasia and all that stuff. I, at least we should. But before we get into all that, I mean, let's just say this, this we, we, we don't want to sound so clinical and so theological and biblical that we we lose sight of, of how these are uh, often gut wrenching stories and gut wrenching cases and 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 Need our, need our care and our prayer and support. And there's so much there. So I, I even as I begin to answer this, I, I want to make sure that, you know, there's a there's a pastoral hat here that needs to be worn as well as a theological one. And hopefully those two are never at odds, but at least in terms of our compassion for what is behind this. So let's just not make all these people rushing to do this, you know, awful, terrible people. Uh, but at the same time, we still need to draw some things in the sand about what is right and wrong. But having said that, the moral pushback is, uh, the sixth commandment and you shall not murder and the reason is simple is because life is sacred uh not just some lives but every life and the fact that each and every one of us was created in the image of god gives us infinite worth and value uh taking it upon ourselves to end a life is an act of defiance uh against god for life is his and it's his alone to give and take. It doesn't matter what the quality of life is for that person. It doesn't matter what the cost of their life might be to society. It doesn't matter how productive they are and how smart they are or how beautiful they are. It doesn't matter whether we like them or not. Uh, all human beings have infinite worth because they were made in the image of God. And the taking of a life, any life, is showing contempt for that image. Uh, so with life being sacred, it is not ours to do with as we please. Only God can end it or direct its ending. 
Uh, if life is sacred, then murder is wrong because life is not ours to take. And that includes the murder of ourselves. Uh, and so this has nothing to do with, again, uh, limiting pain or appropriate and loving palliative or hospice care, but it does have to do with the subject of euthanasia and looking at it from a, a biblical and theological standpoint. Sure. Well, let's ante up the conversation a little bit, like with the next level, and that's the inclusion of people with serious or chronic physical illnesses. Before our conversation, I spent some time, like as you mentioned, making sure that I was approaching this from as much of a place of understanding as possible. And so I read, I don't know, I don't know how many stories, but personal stories of people who had um, walked through MAID with a loved one or someone who like kind of wrote their um, journey um, that ended in MAID. And gosh, these stories were gut-wrenching. Um, stories about people suffering from debilitating strokes, um, accidents that left them paralyzed, years-long battles with MS, and just so many more. Um, and there were two common themes that I noticed in the stories. The first was that many of these people who chose MAID did so with the well-being of their loved ones in mind. And the other one being that they wanted to decide for themselves what quality of life was worth living for them. Let's tackle that second part first, and then we'll kind of come back to the first. But what are your thoughts on being able to decide the quality of life that we're willing to live? Yeah, that's 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 the heart of the thinking, isn't it? Um, but as mentioned, the quality of our life is not ours to decide when it comes to violating the sanctity of life. Mm. Uh, the Bible is very clear about the taking of a human life. I mean, in Exodus twenty thirteen, the sixth of the Ten Commandments was very clear. You shall not murder. And the key word there is murder. Uh, murder is deliberate, willful, premeditated taking of a human life uh, out of hatred or anger or greed or self-centered convenience. Uh, the Sixth Commandment is not about taking, uh, talking about the killing that takes place in questions of self-defense or in war or even in capital punishment. Those are important discussions, uh, but they're not the focus of the Sixth Commandment. Uh, the Sixth Commandment doesn't speak to the killing of other creatures such as animals. Uh, it's very specific, but of human beings. And the reason is simple, as mentioned, is because life is sacred, not just some lives, but every life. Uh, the fact that each and every one of us or created the image of God gives each and every one of us infinite worth and value and taking it upon ourselves to end a life is the ultimate act of defiance against God and for his life is his and his alone to take. It doesn't matter what the quality of life is for that person. It doesn't matter what the cost of their life will be to society. All human beings have infinite worth and value because they're made in the image of God and the taking of a life just hands down uh, any life is showing contempt. Uh, for God in his image. And so it's just not ours to do with as we please. Only God can direct its ending. Uh, so with euthanasia, um, let, let's let's tease out a little bit more about this. As we've mentioned, it's, it's the practice of assisting or enabling death, uh, usually because that person is old or in pain or terminally ill. Um, the uh, And we've allowed that to become almost a noble thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, again, death with dignity, mercy killing, uh, even the meaning euthanasia, good death. The rationale is that members of individuals or family members have the right to end their own or someone else's life if they feel it is unbearable, a quality of life issue. So, but, so let's be clear about what we're talking about ethically, though. There's two kinds of euthanasia. Uh, there's passive and there's active. 
Passive euthanasia is when the individual or family members decide not to use extraordinary means to extend the process of dying when there is no hope for extending life. Very few Christian ethicists challenge that. Um, They would, however, add that food and water are not extraordinary efforts. Mm. Those are basic needs for anyone living. The real issue, though, is active euthanasia, which is the direct killing of a patient because the disease may be terminal or the choice to withhold basic assistance that would prolong life in a substantive way, simply to avoid pain or difficulty. Uh, And that, of course, the more direct term is assisted suicide. And it is every bit as much the taking of a human life uh, as any other form, because it's not our life to take or our decision to make. And as I mentioned, compassion can be poured out on people who are suffering, and we can and should uh, stand with them and, and, and pray for them and encourage them to take advantage of everything that is available in terms of pain management and, and hospice care. Uh, but the taking of life for the sake of the quality of life is against the sanctity of life. So while ending our life on our terms sounds like a statement of personal rights that should be embraced, it's really not. It's, it's, it's playing God with our own lives. And so, again, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we have to draw the ethical lines in the sand, but at the same time know that what is driving this for many people are some uh, horrific quality of life issues. But again, um, that's why we also say equally, um, there's not a problem with passive euthanasia, and there's certainly not a problem with uh, taking advantage of every aspect of pain management, hospice care, everything everything available, and, and of which uh, today is substantive. Hmm. Well, based on that, so the suffering that happens at the end—I mean, there's suffering, but the suffering that happens at the end usually is 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 um, you know they're they're uh, heavily sedated. Sure. Well, I want to go back to that family dynamic because I can understand that it must be incredibly difficult feeling like a burden to your loved ones. And I, I know that anyone who has cared long-term for someone knows like the physical and emotional and how financially taxing that can be. So I don't, I don't have really a better question except for how would you counsel people who are on either side of that really difficult reality? Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the side I'm scared of. I'm, maybe I'm not trying to dodge your question, but I'm just, the, just playing off of it maybe a little bit. Um, and that's how our culture is increasingly viewing and treating the elderly. Yeah. Just how they're viewing them and treating them. Uh, there's a lot of talk among Christians about protecting the unborn. There's very little talk about protecting the long born. Mm-hmm. Uh, few groups are more in need of compassion and protection than the elderly. Uh, in the larger sanctity of life debate, uh, I believe that those uh, of age will be the tipping point uh, toward the devaluation of life more than any other dynamic, far more than abortion or anything else. In other words, I'm convinced that it may very well be euthanasia, um, particularly toward the elderly, and not abortion or even infanticide that will move the moral chains most profoundly. And and here's why. I I think it's going to be, for many people, an easier decision. Uh, They are more costly. They are more burdensome to society. 
they are less physically attractive. They're less emotionally attractive. Uh, they're less productive, if productive at all. And in a word, there will be this growing sense that the elderly are dispensable mm -hmm. and necessarily uh, so for the welfare and well-being of the majority. I mean, let's not forget what the Nazis called the elderly. They were called useless eaters. Mm. Uh, one of the reasons this will come to a head sooner than later, I believe, is largely because of the success of medical science prolonging physical age. Uh, and what happens if or when there isn't enough money to care for them. Right. Uh, but beyond the economic problem is, uh, but the, the, I'm sorry, but the economic problem is, is, is less serious, I would say, than the cultural and the social one. The bottom line is we just don't value older people. Mm -hmm. we, we just don't. Uh, even what has been traditionally valued about those in their final years, which is wisdom, is no longer particularly valued. Uh, old is simply becoming synonymous with useless. Uh, the whole concept of honoring our fathers, honoring our mothers, honoring those who have gone before us, honoring those advanced in age is simply vanishing. In ancient cultures, the older you were, the more you were honored and elevated to places of leadership and, and influence and prominence. The elders were respected uh, above all others, and the younger ones gave them their, um, uh, their regard. It's the mark of a decaying culture, I, I think, that we now trend in the opposite direction. And I don't hear this talked about very often that one of the marks of, of whether a, a culture is decaying is look at how they treat um, the defenseless and the weak, of uh, which the elderly would fall into that category. So to your question, if someone feels like they can't be a burden on, say, their children, or if a child doesn't want the burden, uh, that just shows the lack of honor in our world and how the longborn are not seen as bearing the sanctity of human life. Mm. Uh, again, this is this is the issue, the sanctity of a human life versus the quality of human life. And in our day, the quality of human life reigns um, supreme. Um, and it seems like I remember, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm testing my memory here. I'm just thinking of this as we speak. But there was a there was a um, uh, a story like a parable of um, a family, a mom and dad and, and a little boy, and they had um, an elderly parent living with them and they treated the elderly parent terribly and wouldn't let them sit at the table and wouldn't do this and, and, you know, and just treated them terribly. And one day they saw their child, these two adults that were mistreating this elderly person, the elderly parent, saw their child playing and they were and showed her at a table, but you know, the someone off to the side and being mistreated. And they said something like, what game are you playing? And she says, well, I'm playing what it's going to be like when you get old and how I'm going to treat you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not telling it as well as I remembered the, originally hearing it, but it was this wake up call. And the very next day they had the elderly person back at the table with them. And I, and I do think that, that um, uh, we, we, we need to see that how we treat others is obviously going to be how we're going to be treated. That's the golden rule. Um, and so I think that uh, this whole idea of being a burden, if a child sees their parent as a burden and treats them poorly, I mean, it's you're going to be old one day yourself and we need to get back to a culture of honor. Absolutely. That's so well said. All right, let's tackle the broadest ring of maid, which is 
probably, I mean, they're all kind of scary, but this is the most, I think, disturbing for a lot. And that's um, the ring that would include those with mental illnesses or disabilities. And I guess here, I mean, you can correct me, but I guess you're really just asking the question of agency with this. You know, how do you know if someone is competent enough to make that decision or, and to decide that death is better than life with a mental illness? I was reading this interview done by NPR with um, Dr. Madeline Lee, and she actually helped develop Made in Canada. And um, when she was talking about its extension to include those with medical or with mental illnesses, she expressed her hesitancy about this. And let me quote her, so I'm not putting words in her mouth, but she said, um, how do you distinguish people who are unduly influenced by their mental disorder, who are, who are emotionally help, hopeless? Where, what part of what might be driving their desire to die is psychosocial vulnerability, that they lack housing, they lack finances, they lack relationships. And if that's driving their desire to die and could be remediable, but they're hopeless around it. What are your thoughts? You know, this is, this is, um, this, this touches on a lot of things right now in our world. Uh, and we've talked about some of them in earlier podcasts, like for example, um, very, very, very young children experiencing some aspect of gender dysphoria, or they say they want to transition, um, are being allowed to do so, and it's life-altering and it's permanent surgeries and 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 puberty blockers and things of that nature. And so many of those children also had mental health issues, mm-hmm. and they were dealing with various things. And so here we were, our society affirming these decisions of these young children who have mental issues, and have and allowing them to do these very permanent sex change issues. That's a very big aspect of the, of the gender conversation. And this is, this, is, this is the same kind of thing where how do you know or should someone who has mental issues be allowed to take their own life? Or why, how would it be an ever, ever able to um, uh, support assisting that when we know there's depression or there's some kind of issue there? Um, there uh, recently, there was a story of a, of, a, of a child who was raped. And as a result of that, uh, obviously horrific act. She suffered depression and post-traumatic stress disorder and um, anorexia. Um, and But the tragedy didn't end there. She attempted to enlist the involvement of doctors for assisted suicide. And uh, this was in the Netherlands, which was actually the first country to, um, to legalize assisted suicide. And uh, while unclear, at, I remember the time of this, to what degree they assisted, she wrote a what she called a sad last post on Instagram. And then her death was officially announced by her sister. She was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, under the law of Netherlands, the, currently the euthanasia uh, by doctors is allowed in cases deemed as hopeless and unbearable suffering. And it doesn't have to be just physical. Uh, under Dutch law, children as young as 12 mm-hmm. may request euthanasia even if they're just tired of living. Uh, This epidemic of active euthanasia, the direct killing of a patient because a disease may be terminal or the withholding of assistance that would prolong life in a substantive way just to avoid pain or difficulty, or the fact that they're just depressed or they simply want to die, it's just just frightening. And of course, as we've talked about, it's every bit as much the taking of life as any other form because it's not our life to, to take or our decision to make. The, the, the news of that young girl's choice and how it may have been enabled under Dutch law, I remember it, was, it, was, it shocked a lot of people. This was fairly recently. 
And this was a case where she didn't need parents and doctors to help her kill herself. Hmm. Uh, she needed parents and doctors to help her find emotional, psychological, and spiritual healing. Uh, and I remember at the time, even Pope Francis weighed in on the tragedy, uh, saying that euthanasia and assisted suicide are just a defeat for all of us, just a defeat, a cultural defeat, uh, that we're called never to abandon those who are suffering, never giving up caring and, and for them and loving them and trying to restore hope. In other words, let's never have assisted suicide be the solution to things. Hmm. You've done such a wonderful job of articulating how a Christian might think about this and how God, you know, would view this. But unfortunately, the Christian voice is not the voice of culture. So do you think it's just a matter of time before a law like made is legalized in the U.S.? Oh, I do. I do. Sadly, I, I, I'm surprised it's not already. But I, let's but lest we forget it's it's already happening. I mean, yes, right now, euthanasia is illegal in all 50 states, but assisted suicide is legal in 10 states. Um, in Oregon, in Washington, DC, Washington State, Hawaii, Maine, Colorado, New Mexico, Montana, I can't remember all of them, but there's 10 yeah. that have um, have already made it legal. And, um, and uh, it doesn't go under made, often here it goes under PAD, physician assisted death. Uh, so yes, I do. I do think it, and it'll be done in, with the same argument. You know, um, it's my choice. It's my life. It's my body. It's if I want to end it, I end it. I mean, I'm not answerable to you. I'm not answerable to anybody. If I want to do that, it's my right. And you know, you can't, you can't interfere and you shouldn't interfere. And that's just my choice. And so there is completely divorced from this, any sense of what truly makes life sacred and how it is not intrinsic to anything that we choose or not choose or deem or not deem. And, and Lex, this is, this is, this is going to apply all over the place. If, if you, if you, the, these things that if, if you don't believe life is sacred in an outside transcendent way, if you're totally in charge of everything, then what, what is the end? Yeah. I mean, where, where does this end? I, I was reading recently and this is, I mean, I know I'm going adrift here but I, I was reading recently, uh, uh, they were making a case for pedophilia. Hmm. And the case was, but if the child consents, then, and, the, and the, if the child is consenting, how can you say that's wrong? See, they're even saying that is, as long as the child, if that's the child's choice, hmm. you can't say for that child and an adult to have sex is wrong. And so... It, it's it's where does this end? And see that this is a thing. I, we can bring up something like that story, or even some aspects of of, of euthanasia, and people say, "Oh, that's that you know that's that's terrible." I, I, why bring up those alarming things that could that would never happen? What would we have said even ten years ago could never be the law, would never be legal, would never be allowed? Fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, things that would just been unthinkable, unthinkable. But now mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so I, if you had said ten years ago five years ago, that we were going to be dealing culturally with 10-year-olds uh, wanting to transition their sex and states, courts, and schools intervening to allow them to do it against parental will. If you, I mean, who would, you know, so there's a slippery slope that's not a slippery slope. It's like an avalanche. Yeah. When you start having a culture that 
uh, doesn't put value on life that way. Uh, complete individual autonomy, you know, is given. And, um, and there is no sense of outside truth, transcendent truth, outside, no, no morality, except what 51% of us decide is going to be moral at any given point in time. And that is frightening. And, um, and, and again, uh, this, this, is, uh, this isn't alarmist stuff. Um, this is what has, has happened and is happening. And Christians, um, you say it's on a Christian voice and culture, we, that, and, that, and that's part of the problem. It's not that Christians need to just go and, and make jerks of themselves. We need to make winsome, compelling cases and stand and vote accordingly and stand for truth and speak out and be salt and light and be informed. And, um, and, uh, and because this is a, a, a horrific scenario culturally that we're in. Right. And it's not like we're just saying... You know, it's not an arbitrary thing that we're saying, well, just because God said so. I mean, this is like what God wants for us. And, and it's what we want for us. Like who doesn't want to and who doesn't need to hear every day of their life that they have intrinsic value and worth and that their life is sacred? Because what happens when we make ourselves our own God is that means that only we can be our own savior. And when we're our only savior, then there is no hope for redemption. But when you're going through something difficult and you realize that, I'm not the savior of my life. And then like, you can, then you have so much more hope that this is not the end of the story. There's someone outside of me who can redeem this, who can take this and, and change it or restore it or heal it. And, but we can't do that when we're our own God. And that's, that's a tragic reality of that choice. But, um, okay. Before we wrap up and thank you for taking this on. And thank you to our listener who prompted the, um, this conversation. This was really needed. And I think there's a lot of things that you said, Jim, that I'm like jotting down, like we need to have more podcasts about some of the other things that you mentioned. So I'm sure we will. But on that topic, before we wrap up, let me just remind you once again, that in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have our first ever live edition of the Church and Culture podcast. So that will be on Thursday, February 23rd at noon. And basically, we're going to give about an hour or so and just really open up the conversation to any questions that you have and you get to ask the questions um, on really the intersection of faith and culture. So that's pretty wide of, of a um, playing field that you have to work within, but hopefully that will um, give you the space to bring any kinds of questions that you have or any follow-ups to any of the podcasts that we've already done. So um, to join that, you can find the link in our show notes, um, or if you don't get those or don't know where to find them, you can also just head over to the um, website for the church where um, Jim and I both attend, where he's a senior pastor. That's Mecklenburg Community Church, and the website is mecklenburg.org. And just find the button for the online campus, and that's where we'll be hosting and displaying this. If you cannot make it for the live edition of this, that's totally fine. You'll get access to the conversation the following day when we normally um, air the podcast. So, but yeah, if you can join us, that would be delightful. We'd love to have you. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. I mean, it'll be fun to see. Um what kind of questions people uh, have and what they'd like to talk about. And, and, um, and I, I, and again, we do, we want to have it be very wide ranging. And uh, so, yeah, be thinking about what your question uh, or questions you might like. Yeah. But again, I think that's in two weeks. So um, join us back here next week. We'll have another discussion, but yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jim.